podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie and tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. On a helter-skelter night in London, Liverpool were coming down fast and then suddenly miles above you. There's only one question to which I know the answer. Colo may be a lover, but he sure ain't no dancer. It's a day trippers. Extra, extra, extra. the wonderful Johnny Reth and their new one Give on tonight's bonus show we are joined by returning guest Dave Thomas we'll be choosing the managers of our worst 11s amidst our own storms we discussed the head spinning maelstrom which was Craven College last night we look forward to the FA Cup tie versus Arsenal and the Emirates and we finish as ever we do with your listeners questions but with no Andy Young or Steve Daly in tonight it's unlikely we'll have a return off our cookery school Okay, so we come to the final part of our worst Liverpool eleven jigsaw, the manager. For all the magnificence of Shankly, Paisley, Benitez, Dalglish, there have been a few buttes in the dugout at Anfield. The question then is clear. Who is the most maladroit manager that you've ever endured as you've followed Liverpool? Dave Thomas, get us started here, please. Well, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this is screaming one name, sure. you know, at the podcast as we're, as we're about to say. And there is only one answer, to be fair, and that is obviously Roy Hodgson. But I'm going to leave uh, some of the colour around that, uh, maybe other people on the pod. I actually have a slightly different answer, which is I think if you could amalgamate the last six months of Kenny's second reign and the first six months of Roger's reign... I actually think that would be the worst manager we've ever had. You know, Kenny kind of getting grumpy towards the end of his reign, the T-shirts, you know, pissed off with everyone, you know, fucking hitting the post all the time. And then Rogers coming in, you know, with his being Liverpool and the David Brent stuff, which, you know, has kind of followed him around ever since. You know, that 12 months, we were fucking appalling. Absolutely appalling. Fair. So while he's not an actual manager, uh, if you could amalgamate those two people, that's who I would pick. Right, Jesus, there's, there's a weird mental picture in my head now, but that's good, I like that. Damien. And he's wearing black on black. As well. Oh, yes, get it in. <laughs> Damien. There's one man and one man only, and that's Roy Hodgson. Go. He's fucking horrific. My God, we look shit in the gears we wore under him. The teams we had were shit. <laughs> Everything was just shit that the man done. He just stunk the place out from the time he walked through the door. Like, is that, was his first sign in Joe Cole? Was it? Um, was it not technically Jovanovic because he signed it, yeah just before just before just before Co yeah. and Danny Wilson and Danny Wilson, Danny Wilson yes, Danny Wilson yes. world beaters you can't say enough bad things about him Floody did you see the Europa Cup team that was tweeted holy Jesus I actually got chills looking at that it was the most terrifyingly awful team ever had the fucking captain's armband on him again didn't he mother of Jesus Christ to be fair now he was a safe pair of hands do you know what I mean he was a safe pair of hands yeah 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 so it's it's undeniable for you okay okay Phil Give me your thoughts on it. The man, the myth, the 37 years of a fucking urbane mediocrity, fucking poisoning leagues upon leagues across fucking Europe, right? The wanker exists to fucking make banal, horrible football. He came into our club to uphold the fucking traditions of the club. By what? 
hoofing the fucking ball long. Do you know what? I hope he doesn't come back from Brazil. I hope the lads in the Amazon take him and bring him off and put him in a fucking... <laughs> like, what was that film with the river where Sean Connery was, was, went off to set up a cult? Go and find a fucking cult of bringing <laughs> shit football to the Amazonians. Roy Hodgson, you bastard. And I hope you never set, fo- set foot in the director's box ever again. So I take you don't like Roy Hodgson. That's... Just fuck off. If those fuckers never walked into the club, fucking... Jesus! I'm, I'm seriously... I feel like for, for those listening, we need to paint a bit of a visual picture here of what Phil looks it's, like. It's he is crouched over with his head <laughs> on his hands, <laughs> shaking with tears in his eyes. Like David Moyes, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> or like a shitting dog. I, I can't. I, 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 I actually can't. Constipated, though. <laughs> even now. I, I, this is actually genuinely. I know. You can tell the passion is real, fella. No, it's no, not nobody's, even, it's, nobody's it's not even passion. It's, it's, I, I feel fucking anger it's at this moment. Post-traumatic stress. Thing. We need to have a slight pause. That's why he's the worst, because we've had bad managers, but every single one of them will be welcomed back to Anfield onto the cop. And if you met him, you'd say, do you know what? You may not have been good, but you did your best, Mm. right? Hodgson can fuck off. Hodgson can fuck off. Yes. Forever. Hodgson can fuck off. Wonderful. I think that's us done with that, right? Like Time to move on to what was... Probably psychologically even better in Saturday's dominant win uh, in the dramatic fashion in which it was delivered, but which, on cold reflection, was pretty wretched in many respects. We're talking, of course, about Fulham 2, Liverpool 3. So, we start with the manager. Um, we usually do. Um, was the setup flawed? Uh, a lot of teams are finding us easily def- to defend against away from home. We seem to be particularly poor in the opening section of the match. Midfield was getting bypassed. Flanks look vulnerable. Centre of defence, I mean, it was a calamity, basically, waiting to happen. And it did. Um, so, was Brendan a little bit uh, askew in the way that he set up? Uh, and was his in-game management a bit dodgy? Again, we like talking about that. Um, Damon, I'm going to start with you here, Phil. Um, I don't think his in-game management can be can be questioned. Yesterday, uh, what I'd say, and I, I've, I've said it the last couple of weeks, the system that we're currently employing works fantastically well against teams that will play a high line against you, and will come and try to play through you. Mm. It won't work against a team that comes and plays five across the middle and plays a back four and is sitting looking for you to break them down. It yeah, will not work. On, yeah. um, I think. Last night's game, I think early on in the game, we, we tried to employ the exact same tactic as, we, as we'd done with Arsenal and Everton, and it worked brilliantly well in them games. But it failed miserably against West Brom because they they literally didn't come to play. Uh, then last night they done the same thing, but I felt that after 15 minutes when it wasn't working, that Gerrard was pushed on the extra 15 yards. Um, yeah. I only asked Phil earlier on to, to, to have a look at a certain where he was in the areas, and his most influenced yesterday, Stephen Gerrard, was just around the halfway line. Yeah. So we seemed, I don't know whether that was Gerard or was Rogers' instruction to push Gerard 15, 20 yeah. yards further on, but we seemed to take a little bit more control of the game after that. It was really notable, wasn't it, Damon? Because okay. the, the opening section was, was just scandalous. Well, we were all over the place. If, if you're anyway decent manager and you're coming to play Liverpool, you look at the last game or what way they set up and hmm. you kind of say, well, let's play, let's nullify this threat that they have. Hmm. What you want to do is when you're going, let's play slightly different way. So you're kind of counteracting what they're going to do. Like they're they're working all week to play in a certain way against what you've put out in the pitch. Mm. You can't go out and play that because they're already set up to do that. And that's how they were on top for the first 15, 20 minutes. Mm. They, 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 they knew what way we were set up. But I think whether it was Ger- Rogers or Gerard's kind of intuition, but as soon as he stepped out and you kind of pushed on a little bit, that we got control of the game after that, I yeah. felt, and kind of better bar- second goal. I, I thought we controlled everything after the first I think 15, that, 20 Yeah, minutes. I think that's fair enough. Dave Thomas, would you think, in relation to the setup and the initial um, sort of weakness that we seem to show, when that sort of changed with Jared moving forward, um, did you think then that from that point on it was just maybe individual errors as opposed to sy- systematic failure? Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that he doesn't have a lot of options. You know, yeah. you win five. You win five one at home. He's going to play the same side, right? Yeah. And and the changes you can make. You know, who's he got on the bench? You might bring Alan in, etc. So as Damo says, it does come down to well, what's the system? Not even what's the system because the system isn't going to change too much. But how do you slightly tweak that? And I think conceding the early go- early goal kind of disrupted us a little bit. We weren't great, and I'm not going to deny that. But mm. you know, we weren't great. But you can see the early goal, all of a sudden, all your best laid plans, which might be for all we know, you know, he knows Fulham are going to sit there. He knows he needs to draw him out a little bit. So, you know, he's probably hoping that we score the early goal and that brings him out even more. But mm. we concede, you know, a terrible goal. Um, and I think he responded pretty well after that. I think the move, the move of Jared forward uh, was, was really smart. 
and you take the individual errors, which I, I know we're going to come on and talk about, but if you take them out of the game, you know, it would be a pretty good away performance. You know, okay, not spectacular. We're mm. not ripping them apart, but we control the game. We score three goals, um, you know, and we can see two really soft individual errors. Mm. So I'm not overly, cri- obviously we won, so I'm not overly critical of him. Mm. You know, I can kind of see what he was trying to do, um, but he doesn't have a lot of options. You know, it's yeah. not like he can make five changes. That, that feeds very much into something that you and I were speaking about earlier on and, and the reaction to, and we, I think we should probably talk about this at length later, maybe if we get a chance. But the reaction to the performance was quite shocking. And I'll, I'll just cut in, just on it, right? And, and, and this is my take on it, and why people are like this. The game kicked off. We were fucking shite when the game kicked off. First fifteen, like the goal was a culmination of fucking twenty minutes of utter shiteness, right? And it was looking, it had the same flavour to the West Brom, the, the start of the second half against West Brom. And I suppose the air frustration is that we went out and we were utterly dominant in the what we did to Arsenal. And I know people said, oh, we sat back and counted them. But when Arsenal came, we went up in their faces, got the ball, played really quickly, mm-hmm. played very... It, was, it may have not been dominant possession, but what it was was it was quick, um, intuitive, passing, destructive football. Intensity, right? it, it, was, yeah. it was. It was full of intensity. Yeah. And there was a severe lack of intensity the way we, we opened the game against Fulham. And I think it, more so, that's where the frustration for but, people but, came but from. It takes two two, two yeah. teams to create yeah. intensity in a game. Like it's, it's very difficult when you've got a team that's come to, to be fucking difficult. And let's face it, they were fucking difficult. Yeah, but, but like, full, Fulham are set up. They're, they're at the bottom of the table. Your man Rene, all he's doing is making them very, very mm. difficult to fucking beat at the moment. And yeah. let, let's, that's all they're working on. Let's stop conceding goals here. Mm. That is all they're working on. Monday to Friday. And, and if they can get a goal on the counter, well and good. But we were sloppy when we opened uh, opened that that game, and it was it was sloppy in terms of passing and, and stuff like that. We were we were slipping around the pitch, you know. Now, what I would have liked to see in terms of the start is that that taking some element of the intensity from the Arsenal game and understanding that the what happened against West Brom could happen again if you didn't approach the game and there was with, no with sign an of intense. It. Yeah. yeah, but uh, you know the point I make here, Phil, you're absolutely right, right? But they're not they're human beings, right? They're not robots, right? That. So like. We can all say you've got to feel the same way about playing Arsenal at home as you do about playing Fulham away, but we, that's not the reality. You know, they're not going to feel that way. The other point I'd make is that we can't come on a podcast or forums or Twitter after every victory mm. and say what a really smart manager Rogers is and how he learns from his mistakes and all this kind of stuff and not back him to learn from his mistakes. He learned from West Brom, right? So to take your point, yeah, the start of the game against Fulham was the same as the game against West Brom, but he changed it. So my issue is not, if we draw that game, go nuts after the game, right? I mean, criticise Rodgers and criticise the players for not learning from it. But he learned from it in the game. And we have to give the manager a little bit more, I think, than 20 minutes or 40 minutes or 60 minutes to be able to figure out what is a dogmatic and, you know, a team that's come to do a particular thing. Tactics is a two-way street. You have your tactics and you have what the opposition has turned up to do. And you can turn up and say, we're going to press high or we're going to have this intensity or we're going to do that. But if the opposition is only interested and clearing their lines and kicking the shit out of you and not interested in having the ball, then that makes it really difficult. So my point is, you're right. So let me start with that. You're right. <laughs> we, we didn't start well, but my issue is... I feel that like you're we, getting finessed here. We, cannot, we can't come on here and say, either Rogers is a smart manager who learns from his mistakes, or he's an idiot, right? The, you can't say that he learns from his mistakes and then not trust him to do that. Mm. Well, I would be sort of middle ground here in terms of the good thing from Fulham was that he enacted a change and I'm giving him credit for moving Gerard Hoyer mm. for the second half right because he didn't do that against West Brom and the defence itself moved higher in the second half against Fulham in fact Gerard from the last 25 minutes when we were actually chasing that game he seemed to almost swap positions with Henderson and Henderson became the deepest line defender and Gerard became an attacking force again because those shots coming off, like I seen Gerard take two shots in the, in the last, in and around the edge of the 18-yard box and getting two shots away, which we haven't seen for a long, long yeah. time. And I'll give him, like, if, if that for me is learning where we hadn't learned from West Brom. Yeah. And I have criticised his in-game management and I've said it here and I've, it's, I'm on record, I have not been impressed with his in-game management for most of this season. Um, the games against Arsenal and Everton, his his game management for the way we set up and the way we go out and, and get the results and get the leads early, brilliant, right? I just felt that in games where we need to enact a change, and our results have shown this because that was the first time we've come from behind in a game to mm-hmm. actually go on to win the game. Now, that to me 
is a sign of learning. It's a sign of progression, and it's a very good, positive thing to see in him. He made three decisions yesterday which win the game, right? Mm. The first one is moving Jared forward. The second one is bringing Teixeira on. Mm-hmm. And the third one is bringing Agar on, right? Mm-hmm. That's three decisive yep. decisions he makes that wins that game. Yep. So why, why do we not trust that he's capable? Not, not you, not people in this room necessarily, but the people who are 60 minutes turn on and go, well, that's it, we've lost, or that's it, we've drawn, or we're never going to get a point, or we fucked it up again. Yeah. Why, why don't we trust that he's done those things all through the season? I think we just need to have people a are, more People faith. are very damaged up, yeah. Dave, aren't they? <laughs> you know? Confidence in the manager is something that comes with the manager delivering results. It's a bit of chicken and egg as well. Like, you know, mm. The more he does this, the more fans will be, the less fans will be reactionary to when things happen on the pitch, and the more belief we'll get that we'll get results out of it. Yeah, but... Uh, but my question I ask every time we get a kind of a setback is, what more does this guy actually need to do mm-hmm. to get a little bit of faith? And I understand everything you've talked about. But first of all, every team drops silly points, right? Mm-hmm. Second of all, there is a difference between being frustrated again after the game or after a poor result and losing your shit, you know, when we get Immediately, yeah. the game. And I think... That's what disappointed me a little bit last P- People just need to allow themselves to have a little bit of hope and, 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 and you know, not, not panic immediately. I, I think we all need Ron Williams to just hug us and say it's not your fault <laughs> repeatedly and uh, make us feel a bit better. Let's go and look at something good. Let's talk about Phil Coutinho because really he did embody the overall performance of the team in some ways. Um, the little Brazilian unicorn that he is. Uh, pretty sketchy in places. And then... Constantly showing character, tenacity, desire, and he gets a lovely goal, which makes a massive difference to us at a key time. And um, would it be fair, Damo, to say that Coutinho was very representative last night of Liverpool overall? There's, I, I seen a stat from from I seen a stat from the, the last game and and last night as well. Coutinho has made the most tackles for us in both games, hmm. both games, most tackles than any other player on the pitch. Um, this is from a player that you would not expect it from. Yeah. Uh, and he's also given us then, as well as that, like he's constantly harassing, he's constantly chasing players. Now, it's not a part of a game that you would ever kind of say you expect this from Phil Coutinho. Like it's, you, you, it you is want, a new thing, this tenacity from this. It it, it, it's brilliant to see. Yeah, like it's, it's wonderful. It kind of, and once you get one player doing that, it does breed into the rest of them. And, and you can kind of see them all hunting. But when, then when he gets it, he, he's being comfortable on the ball, he's cre- being creative. Mm. He's given us a little bit of everything. Well, as I always said in this podcast numerous times, the minimum you ask for is effort. And mm. if you start at that point, everything else will fall into place. Mm. And to see the amount of effort he's putting into games at the moment mm. is just absolutely fantastic to watch. I, like, I, I thought I thought with him, like throughout the game, and it, 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 was, it was a bit of a mixed bag for, for me in terms of what he delivered on. He, um, he, he made the most tackles. But he also gave the ball away. Like he also lost the ball a fair bit in terms of carrying it for too long and losing possession, and then winning the tackle to get the ball winning back. Winning back, then, now, yeah. That's, that's remember that's, though, they have ten men behind the ball. That's the way they're set up. To absolutely, break those down. Uh, absolutely. But uh, all I'm saying is that he, the, the 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 good bits of Coutinho's game when we've seen them in uh, Arsenal and Everton has been he's got it and he's released it quickly and he's made himself available but again. That's because able of to space from the plate. Accept that, right? He is a little bit one paced, and there's no denying that he can't get away from a man with the ball unless it's through trickery. But he does have that lovely time on the ball that Jabby Alonso has where he can just touch it a little bit to one side and the pitch opens up. Well, it's a rare thing. For me, it's, it's not so much Alonso. It's more um, Hadji. Well, if you want to go back there, that's a good shout. He literally just takes a slight touch to the side, right or left, and the pitch opens up. He's got a second to think, and that's just so unique. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, the thing about Coutinho last night is that's not his game last no. night. You know what I mean? It's no. like... Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. I think we'll come on to talk about Sturridge because I thought, apart from the goal, I think we talked about it earlier. He was a little, little quiet as well last night because Coutinho and Sturridge play well when they're playing against a high line when he's got a pocket of space and he can play a quick pass. Mm. I actually think Coutinho is the type of player that gets worse the more time on the ball he gets. Mm. You know, if if he has the ball for two, three, four touches, I think he kind of loses his way a little bit. I think he's a one or two touch or first time pass or looking for the space, and I think that's why Sturridge suits him because Sturridge will make the runs that Coutinho is looking for. I love the Haji shout. The only thing I think, I think he lacks a little bit of Haji's physicality. Mm. And I think what that means is against a side like Fulham, and they did last night, they kicked the shit out of him. Mm. I mean, they, they went for Coutinho. But that's, that's building up on him, Dave, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, I we've know, just been chatting about you that. You can't argue about yeah. it, right? Because as Damo said earlier, any manager, never mind any manager, anybody who watched us play against Arsenal, right, would have done two things. One, don't play a high line. Mm. Two, sit on Coutinho, right? Mm. That's what you're going to do. And that's what they did. So, you, you know, you can't argue with that. 
What I thought was impressive about him was despite that, despite the physicality, despite the fact that he got kicked, despite the fact that he got no space, despite the, despite the fact that it wasn't really happening for him, he, more than anyone in the second half, apart from Suarez, said, I'm going to win this game. Hmm. I'm going to take this game and I'm going to take a shot and I'm going to try something and I'm going to take it. And, you know, for a kid, and that's all he is, I think that bodes really well for him growing into that attacking midfield. Dave, while you're there, you t- talk to me about Danny Sturridge. You, you, you raised the subject, and I know you had a really interesting stat you were chatting to me about earlier on. Could you maybe start off with that in terms of his form over the last while? Well, and I don't want to take credit for this because it's uh, by a guy on Twitter called uh, Act Mix Nuts, and that's Nuts with a K, and that's Ted Nutson, who is a stats guy on Twitter. And he wrote a great article on mm-hmm. Daniel Sturridge, and I'd really encourage everyone to get over to the site and read it. Um, but the, the general thrust of his article is right now, Daniel Sturridge is either scoring or creating 1.2 goals per game. Okay, and he is scoring one goal every 90 minutes that he plays. Now, to put that into some sort of context, the only player or the only forward in the history of the Premier League who's ever got close to one goal every 90 minutes is Cristiano Ronaldo at something like 0.89. Mm-hmm. Now, Ronaldo at his best did it across the season, and Sturridge is at a smaller sample size. But to put this into context, if he continues this form for the rest of the season, he would have had arguably the greatest season a striker has had in terms of impact on goals, either scoring goals or assisting goals. And you know the funny thing is? He's only the second best player in our team. And that's mm. how good he is. Mm. You know? yeah. But I think, I mean, I, I saw an article uh, today, Paddy Barkley, some stupid fucking article about his, you know, Sturridge dancing and, oh, I can see why Chelsea and Man City didn't keep him. But I'll tell you <laughs> something now. Swept. If Damo, would you concur there in terms of your thoughts on Sturridge? He hasn't put a foot wrong since he came to the club, really, has he? Mm. He, 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 he is, again, his work rate is phenomenal. When he gets that chance, he takes it. Um, I know he's missed one there last week that he probably could have taken as far as had a go out. But you just you back him when he's one on one. You are you you're back him when he's half a chance. Yeah. Um, and there's not many strikers that I can think of out there that you see going one on one and you can kind of say, yeah, he's going to bury this. Like it's but it's like, like as soon as he got that ball from Gerard last night, I'm fucking shouting goal. Like he, he, even just as he receives it, I'm shouting goal. Um, I don't think there's. Well, what I'd like to see from him, though, is to start that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about, um, from one extreme to the other, let's talk about Colo Toure and the uh, the flawed, um, I was going to say genius, but that's very debatable. That own goal, staring at the grass afterwards, the beautiful Seagal-esque takedown of Phil Dowd. Look, he's just a mentalist, isn't he? And possibly a liability to the team, but fuck me, he's entertaining. I mean, how do we, do we basically, can we all concur here that if Danny Agra has got even half a leg in functioning order that Colo's gone, would you say, Phil? Well, you know, on, on, on Colo Torre, especially after last night, the knives are out again a couple of weeks ago after the Everton game. We're saying, Jesus, he did very well. Yeah, he, he was solid against it, it right? Um, against West Brom, he plays the pass. The knives are out for Colo again. He does nothing wrong in the game against Arsenal. Arsenal, he's okay right? again. Yeah. So, my issue with Colo Torre is not so much in the mistake that he makes or the mistakes that he has made because for me the flaw is that Colo Torre is in, is in the wrong position and f- for me over the whole run that we've missed Sacco and Agar he has not looked comfortable as a left centre back and I've been banging this for weeks now at this stage mm-hmm. right and it, it, even the mistake that he makes last night is attributable to the fact that he's predominantly right footed he swings it with the right peg and um, I actually thought there was a little bobble on the ball because looking at the way it goes, it's an unnatural movement because it comes off the shin as as, as it goes and a, and a swing. It, even even the spin of the ball is, is funny as opposed to hitting it hit, hitting it clean. And I'm just looking at it saying maybe a, a left footed defender comes on to that slightly different. There was a warning sign on that one, wasn't there? Just uh, maybe about five ten minutes earlier, almost exactly the same. Ball across and he he, he slices and slashes at yeah. it and he, he gets that one away. But again, it's what you're saying: his body shape and position. It's probably just not natural for him. It's not, and you know, we, I remember the debates we were having about playing two left-footed centre backs. Right, the fact is, some centre backs are capable of playing both left and right side of the defence. Mm. Some centre backs are comfortable playing one side or as a full back. Right, and mm. I, I will put Torre into the bracket of right-sided and a right full back, if anything, because he has not looked comfortable there, and I think half the mistakes are coming from the fact that he is a right-sided centre-back. All his movements, if, even if, if, if you think back to, to the pass against West Brom, right, a right-sided centre-back immediately looks to his right-hand side 
to play the ball and Skirtle's on the right hand side he looks to go across to where you know a right side of centre back would be playing to his full back mm. whereas a left side one would have looked, at, would have looked to the other side of the pitch to go down the actual left side of flank and not across his actual he would goal. have opened out the left side yeah. of centre half yeah. Yeah. and instead he closed Perez himself in and he goes yeah. touches back inside straight away exactly. exactly. <laughs> Damo I, I, I wrote at length about Colo during the week and basically the conclusions I was coming to was that he was a massively entertaining man but not necessarily the best footballer you're ever going to see and my question to you is at this stage of his career, what is he? Is it 33, 34, that kind of age? Surely that fella, I mean, you, you, you two boys there are talking um, uh, quite expertly there about positions and, and, and natural side and stuff like that. Surely a man of his experience, of his ability, clearly he's, he's a twice league winner. Surely that guy should be able to adapt. It, it's, it's actually very difficult. Uh, when I played, and Phil has kind of backed me up on this, I played always a right foot, I always played left side. Always played left side, and I, I predominantly played with my left foot when I, when I played. I used to always open out to that side, but that was just the way I played, and I was always more comfortable on the left mm. for, for whatever reason it was. It's, it's just whatever happens. You can go to the other side, but you never really adapt. You, like, you might get through a game for 90 minutes, yeah. and then one thing will happen, and your mind just clicks and it goes the opposite way. And instead of taking that touch, instead of opening out every time to your left, that one time you're under a little bit of pressure. Your mind clicks and you go to where you're comfortable. Well, okay, let, let's take it another little step further then. The decision making in advance by Brendan to put Colo there rather than Skirtle, is he thinking, right, they're both a liability on the left? Because we've seen Martin struggle there as well. Was it like this is the best of a bad lot? Do you think that's what he's done there? Well, we're looking at it and we've got our two very comfortable players playing that side and they're both out injured. Yeah. So it's it's a much of a muchness. Yeah. And I would actually say he's probably looking at it and saying Colo's probably more comfortable. That, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's kind yeah, of where I'm driving it, yeah. Um, like he, he's doing, he's made two howlers, absolute howlers, but mm. he's done okay for a player who, let's face it, is our fourth choice centre-half. Yeah. Let's, he wouldn't be playing if, if the lads are fit, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, so he's uh, doing okay. Like do he's you, made a couple of howlers. Errors happen, centre-halves make mistakes. When you can see goals, inevitably it's the centre halves mm. or the goalkeeper that are going to be at fault. I don't want to see him smacking the ground and looking around like you know, like oh my god, it's an act of God that's happened. I want him turning around, going, "I've made an error," and then reacting and going, "I'm going to lead us out of this." And did you think that was notable in the immediate after? I, I must say, I didn't pick up on that. I thought he was missing. I thought he was invisible last night. Okay. I thought he that's never showed for the ball. That's interesting. I thought he. Uh, I thought he avoided the difficult pass. I thought that he backed out of the physical challenges. I thought it was it was noticeable when crossers were coming into the ball. And it's the reason the second goal gets conceded is because Skirtle's noticed this, noticed that Tory isn't trying to win the ball, and Skirtle goes to try and clear a ball that's not his to clear. Well, for me, and I think we're going to deal with it next anyway. Yeah. Right? The, on on the second goal and. What Skirtle's what was putting down to Skirtle's error, and it brings in the next two points we're going to talk about. But for me, and I'm talking from a goalkeeper's perspective, that's Mignolet's fault all day long. Mignolet is atrocious, atrocious at dominating his box early for such a big player. Um, we saw it on Sunday there was one that was a yard and a half off the line, and he refused to come for it, and he let one of his defenders deal with with, with the actual ball. That ball that comes in, there's no pressure in the actual area. The person that was under pressure was, was John Flanagan at the back post. And Martin Skirtle ends up in an, an unnatural body position trying to clear the ball. Now, yes, when Skirtle goes to deal with it, he doesn't deal with it properly, and that's a mistake, it clearly is. But if Mignolet does what he should do, which is come and collect a relatively easy cross into the box, it doesn't matter what goes on behind him because that, the, the, the mistake never happens. And for me, that, that's the bigger part of the error, and that's fundamentally a bigger issue than Martin Skirtle making a, a, a carrying out with a howler because we can deal with, with like we've dealt with Skirtle's blunders over the course of the actual season and as we're just saying centre halves will make mistakes but for me the, our goalkeeper needs to dominate the six yard box I'm not even asking to come and take stuff out in, in the middle of the 18 yard box say like Rayner or even James did in, in his day or come up for everything right but he has to he has to dominate the six yard box it it, it it, that frustrates me, I, and I said it to you last night, mm-hmm. that really, really frustrates me. Over all the things, that was the one thing that really frustrated me. But I, I, I just wonder, is that tactical, uh, rather than a... than Because a, he doesn't come for anything, anything, right? He does not come for a single cross. So I just wonder, and I'm not saying it's right, and I, you know, I, I, I actually would like to see him come, come out a little bit more, but I just wonder if Rodgers has said, 
you don't because I think he was uncomfortable with Reina last year with is he going to come is he not going to come and I think that Rogers felt that what that did was it meant that the centre halves didn't know whether they were meant to go for the ball or not so I think I just wonder whether what he said to Mignolet and to the centre halves is the goalkeeper will never come so it's always your ball to deal with it's always the centre halves ball to deal with right because I think there's nothing worse than not knowing where the goalkeeper's going to come. Rogers is done. I think there could be really something to that. And I'd be interested to hear what you have said in that, Phil, uh, in response. Because if you think about it, just something that struck me when Dave was talking. The centre-halves, when there is a blunder like that, they never turn around and, and gesticulate wildly at Mignolet. Like, you always see centre-halves doing to goalkeepers when a cross has come in and the keeper hasn't come for it. They never do that. They don't pick him out. They don't say, hey, that was yours. There might be something to what he's saying, do you think? But equally, that can be instruction to say you don't have a pop-up Mignolet we don't want his confidence damaged because any he, he's made a few flappies over the course of the season and we want him to build his confidence I'm sorry Trev I'm not having a goalkeeper not coming for things in his six yard oh, box listen I'm agreeing not with having you. it like that's, that's, I think Davis that's, too that's Robert Green stuff that's that's very poor goalkeeping and it's 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 not like for everything brilliant that Mignolet does right some of the fundamental issues in his game are frightening in terms of the progression for us to the next level. What we want is Mignolet to be our goalkeeper for the next five, six, seven years, right? Mm. And I can already see long-term that if if we don't win a championship, say, this year, right, and we want to go to the next level, you need a dominant goalkeeper. See, as well, like, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking purely about what a goalkeeper brings because if the, if the goalkeeper dominates the six-yard box, and I'm not talking about anywhere else, right, mm. it means that the defence at least is not sitting in on top of the goal. And when g- defenders make mistakes in the six-yard box, they nearly inevitably lead to a goal-scoring chance. And that, for me, is a bigger issue because that's where the goalkeeper comes into his own. Well, if you look at Skirtle's body position there last night, he was facing his own goal six yards in front of, of yeah. Minelay. Any defender doesn't want to be facing their own goal at exactly. any fucking stage. You exactly, know, they, they, yeah. At any stage, you don't want to be doing that. So Minelay's got to be saying there, Listen, I'm going to come and give the boys mm-hmm. a dig out here. Early shout and come and clean house. Yeah. Uh, like like it, 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 it creates the mistake because... He, 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 Phil, last word on this to you and just to lead into it. The, the point that I was trying to get at there when I was talking about the fans, fans liking to see it, I think the team likes to see it as well and I think it gives confidence and it gives assuredness to, especially to a back four and to centre halves and it's something that you know I think everyone would be more happy if we could see a man coming out and claiming balls like that. It is... It does instill confidence. It does give you a bit of a sense of security. Um, do you think, and you've been pretty consistent in this all the way through, to be fair, do you think, and I remember asking this, it's something that can be coached? Do you think, like Dave's saying, it's something that might develop into his game? Or would you be pessimistic about that being something that can emerge? On crossing and dominating the six-yard box at least, that's coachable. That's not like a. That's not something that you can't work on right. on a training ground day in day out. That's not something that you can't sort of say, okay, Simon, this is it. The defense isn't dropping below the, the the penalty spot. You've got to come and make them yours, right? Um, and deal with them. If you want to punch them like fuck, like Jens Lehmann used to do, do. Hmm. You know what I mean? If, if you don't have to catch, you, it, there's no law that says you have to catch the ball. Just deal with the crosses. Deal with it, yeah. I'll say, I'll put it this way, right? And it's. Not that he's a better goalkeeper, right? But if Brad Jones plays on on Sunday, right, you will see he come. He's in terms of what happens aerially, he comes for everything. Now, just going back to what we were saying, whether Rogers is telling Minulay to stay at home or not, right? I don't know whether Rogers told him or whether it, like the defense just said, "Look, are you more comfortable staying there?" Like it can be just between the actual defender. It doesn't have to be mm. something that the, the manager is saying, right? Yeah, it's notable. And, and, and the man and the and the defenders are happy to deal with it. Um, because when, when Jones does play, like, and I'll go back to the, the last couple of FA Cup games, he comes for everything. And I know people are going, oh, he flapped at that one. But ultimately, he tends to get a hand on something. The ball gets pushed, the direction of the, of, of the ball gets changed. And uh, nine times out of ten, that's going to prevent a shot coming off a corner or a free kick or whatever. And as, 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 like, uh, as not good enough as, as Brad Jones is to be a first-choice goalkeeper, he's very proactive in the way he deals with, 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 with stuff early. And I just... Again, look... Damo, let's move on to a different subject and one that's uh, probably a lot more positive and that's the performance of Stephen Gerrard. Are we seeing a guy here who, at the stage he is at his career, um, is sensing a real opportunity? I mean, he was like a man possessed there in that second half. And a thing that we saw and that was really notable and that was really significant was he drove... Uh, the team drove towards a late win. I mean, that's immense, isn't it, for this team? 
it's, it's absolutely fantastic to see with like I think we've all been guilty of having to pop off him uh, when things weren't going well for him when he was kind of moving in. I think a lot of people have had a pop off him. Dave's shaking his head, he never did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not public. <laughs> but we, we, I think we're all being guilty at some stage or another. But my God, last night, the drive and tenacity to get us forward. Um, like, I, I had a go, myself, Phil had a two week long argument over the WBA uh, West Brom game. Yeah. There was heat maps and fucking <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. And it went on and went on. And we're still not finished with that by the way <laughs> we finished it tonight in the care park <laughs> but uh, we got someone to five or something I, I was so frustrated because he was so deep um, but last night you could see I think he sensed blood last night and uh, like, we are yes. 12 games yeah. away from something special yeah. like, just, steady on that's very Julia-esque there listen wherever we finish up we finish <laughs> up but it's only 12 games and yeah. I'm sure he's, he's been there he's the, done it yeah that's my point this is a guy and it's the only box he's got left to tick and I mean, it's a fucking wonderful opportunity. I, I, I'm watching that last night, and we get the penalty, and I'm looking at it. The man has balls of steel to get up and strike yeah. that penalty. Yeah. As, as sweetly as he done it, everything. I'm looking, yeah. and I'm going, that's the Stephen Gerrard, you know, that's yeah. the fucking hero we love. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. like, he's struggling in that position, kind of to find his feet in the centre of the park. Everyone's had goes off as a defensive midfielder. It seems to be growing into a slightly. Mm. Um, he, if he learns it from last night, as he pushes on, if it's not working. I'm fine by that but he seems to be doing okay and really really happy with him last night it was delighted for him as well like, it's, yeah. it's real kind of fucking up with you lads just like, well, yeah absolutely yeah. I mean you could see the enjoyment all over his face Dave Cutney I mean that was a guy who was, who was relishing that moment well I mean you talk about his balls of steel what I loved about it is he still had the presence of mind to take the piss out of Richardson's goal celebration by taking his shirt off you know <laughs> yeah, 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 Richardson's yeah. running around the pitch praying to God with a fucking white t-shirt on and it's like <laughs> hey I, let me show you how we do this <laughs> I mean as one of and I'm on record as being a big advocate of Gerard in the deeper role um, and Phil and I very much disagree on this point uh, but my view on it is, uh, and where Phil and I do have some common ground, is you've got to build it around Gerard, and you've got to surround him by mm. legs. Yeah. And I think that what was what was impressive about him last night was he's resisted. I think a lot of times this season, the what what I would imagine is his natural inclination to go and try and ga- take the game by the scruff of the neck. I think that he recognizes that you've got Suarez, you've got Surridge, you've got even Henderson. I think he kind of outsources a lot of that CVG yeah, stuff. That's the key so point, then, isn't it? There's that's evolution. Last night he went, Fuck this, lads. You know, if mm. we're I, I he was like, I'm not losing this game. Yeah. I am not losing this game. And I think that there are gonna be times over the next you know, between now and winning the league I think there are going to be times where he is going to have to do that again over the next 13 games. Gerard's part in it was to move our team higher, to compact the space, to make those triangles available for them to work off of in the second half of the game. The second goal is, is, is an anomaly to what was actually going on in the second half. Our second half is actually a very, very good second half of football. It is, to be fair, yeah. You know, you, we went out there and, as I said, we, we won the game purely because we stuck to our principles. We didn't hoof it in. I had an issue with the amount of crosses that we were putting in, especially after the United game. Yeah. I think we put 22 crosses in, which is very unlike us as a team. We, we don't cross the ball that much, but we were putting a lot of crosses in. I did notice to stop fucking crossing a tweet. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ten through balls. Ten through balls. Yeah. So yeah. there was at least a bit but, of a but, but that's the... When Gerald was out for a while, Henderson was immense. And now there seems to be that kind of mutual respect. As you say, Jared willing to accept a role rather than their role. No, I, I, I don't buy the partnership thing because it only works as a treason. You, well, no, 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 yeah, well, yeah, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not talking about no, two, no, two man thing. No, I'm saying, like, if, if, if we're saying a partnership, it's not that Gerard and Henderson has suddenly clicked and worked, right? It works because there's three there. Right, it works because that there's, and it's a specific type of three that's there, right? Yeah. If you put Gerard Henderson and Lucas in there, you're going to have the same issues as we had before Christmas. Now, look, let's be honest, but we were winning games before Christmas. It's not like we, we were on we were on the downslope that we had the, the first season that Rogers was there. But at the same time, we're a better team when we have a, a, a mobile two with, with an immobile one than the immobile Lucas in there. To be clear, I was talking about a three when I meant when I was speaking about partnership and, and the interaction between them. But for you, it's as simple as that. It's about not having both Lucas and Gerard in that central zone. Yeah. That's the simple thing. Yeah. Hey, can I just throw a negative in? Because we're just being too positive here. <laughs> Go on, yeah. Let's not forget, like, when Fulham's first goal scored, Gerard lost the runner. Now, I think we all forget that because of the fuck-up from Torrey. 
Yeah. But if you watch, Gerard is he's purely ball watching. He's he, he isn't watching the man on the ball. He's just watching the play. Richards, uh, Richardson runs out the back of him. Doesn't yeah. even see him, and the goal develops from there. Mm. You know. So that's something that if Gerard is kind of going to be seen as a, a long term replacement in there, that's something he needs to get out of his game. That, that he's got to watch them little runs just from the outside of the box. Mm. He's throwing tackles in left, right and centre. Mm. You know, he's actually using his physicality and I can't remember him using his size. You know, he's six foot one, he's a big guy, he's a good tackler, not always a great tackler. But I mean, I'm thinking back to the, I can't even remember, the Julia days back in like the, you know, Blood and Thunder Dogs Award derbies was the last time he was throwing these kind of tackles in. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's actually great to see because we need it back there with... Toure and Skirtle, who aren't the most physically dominating centre-half partnership you're ever going to see. So I think physically he's doing a It's been very notable, yeah. hasn't it? And yeah. it's very, very effective on, on an yes. ongoing yeah. basis. What do we make of the debut of uh, Mr. Teixeira? Um, Demo, how, how did you feel he coped when he came on? Um, I, the, the day before, I'd, I'd seen Rogers talking about him, and I actually tweeted, I said, I fancy him to play tomorrow did at you? some stage. Did I actually said it. Okay. Um, and Kind of, we discussed it with a few of us, and we talked about it. And he said, "No, it's never going to happen." Not you hardly this game. called it a two-one, did you? Not this game. He he put him on, and I tweeted, "Ah, oh, for fuck's sake, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, There's a time and a place yeah, for this." Yeah, yeah. Nobody would. I, I was. I have to say, I questioned is putting him on. Yeah. But he come on, and he was excellent when he come on. He's as somebody liking to. He's like a more physical Coutinho. Yeah. Uh, he keeps possession of the ball well, and as Phil said, by us keeping that possession in their final third. Like they have got to concentrate for 90 minutes solid, you know, and if you tore them out and keep moving the ball, you will get that chance or, or that one break. And we did, we managed to do it. Yeah. Uh, I was very happy with him. At that. He, see, he seems a very uh, composed individual, that even to, t- to take on a shot yeah. like he did, and quite a difficult opportunity yeah. so early. It was, it was. I mean, I mean, he was like cool, right? I mean, yeah, he that's, was not. That's the word. That's First the word. of all, I mean, you know, I want to go back to something I said uh, on Twitter the balls on Rogers to make that sub. Yeah, right. I good mean, chance, yeah. That's, I mean, who does that? Which other manager? Maybe Mourinho. Well, who here, does that? Here's one back at you, right? What the fuck does that say about Moses, Alberto, and Aspas? Well, I think we know Quite exactly a lot. what it says. About yeah, <laughs> Quite a lot. No, no, but like, so apart from Alberto, the only thing I'd say about Alberto is I think the game was too physical for Alberto last night. I don't, and I'm, I'm still on the fence whether he'll make it. Moses won't make it. Aspas won't make it. They're gone, right? They're done. And In fairness to Iago, he got very animated on the sideline. I was going to say, did you see how happy Iago looked? Yeah. He was buzzing the kid. Yeah. He has That's no idea what's going on. He thought we were in white. <laughs> <laughs> he had a tenor on three too. <laughs> But I yeah. think that, you know, to share it, and again, you know, imagine being a young player at Liverpool right now, right? And imagine the work you're going to put in when you go into the academy, you go into the reserve team, or imagine the work you're going to put in in training when you see what, you know, Flanagan coming through, you see Ibe coming through, obviously Sterling's been there for a while, and now you see this kid coming through. And he's not just coming through because we've got an injury crisis and we've got nobody on the bench. That was actually probably our strongest bench for a long time. And he gets in ahead of senior pros that have been signed for a lot of money that have come with you know big reputations he got on instead of Alan which I was gobsmacked about that he got yeah. on ahead of Alan I think most people but it was the right call and he was I mean I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater you know I'm not saying that you know he's going to be the next scrutiny or anything like that but what I thought he had last night he was cool he was physical he wasn't afraid and he kept the ball. I think it's more the context of him being put on, yeah. the state the game was at, the importance of the game, the overall season. Like I wondered, would he turn out? Uh, will it turn out to be like he's like Jordan? I he makes a, little, a couple of nice little impressions, and we don't see him for ages. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be like that, or if he's going to actually feature now regularly. The, the only difference is he's twenty-one. Yeah. Now he yeah. Lo- he lost a couple of years because of the back injury that he had. Yeah. Um, he looked a wonderful time. I remember watching all the next, the next gen, the first yeah, year it was on, and that, he yeah. was just so far above everything that was in that Sporting Lisbon team. Himself and in, in fairness, himself and Alori were the standout players for Sporting Lisbon, and like we have both of them now at this stage. It's just Alori you speak of. The, he's the invisible man. Oh yeah. Um, and <laughs> he, um, but seriously, I was delighted to see him. I thought last year we might have seen a bit of him, given the players that we had, the positions that we needed to fill, and. I said to to Damo this morning, I said, you're looking at a player that seems to have pace, but with the ability of Coutinho. Mm. And like, 
like coming back to your bit that you said Coutinho seems a bit one pace the guy has incredible balance and he, he has a tenacity you could see it in the tackles now the other thing I'll say is when a player comes in it's, it's the same with Raheem Sterling I said a couple of weeks ago right you get an incredible buzz that they've suddenly made the force team to get on and they work like bejesus to get in the team right the bit for that we will see whether Teixeira has it or not is when he gets an extended run in the team how he does yeah if he falls away or, when the yeah. novelty of him being in the team how he does how he how he deals when it stops being breaking into the first team and becomes the first team yeah, yeah. I mean there's just one other small thing on Teixeira I think it was noticeable you know Suarez coached him through a lot of that lot of that last yeah time. actually yeah good I shot. thought that was really impressive from Suarez you know because again Suarez has been guilty at times of you know getting into a bit of a me 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 moment where he wants to win the game mm. but what I thought he did last night which was really intelligent was he kind of drifted you know across the front line a little bit and he kept talking to Teixeira kept telling mm. him where to play the ball kept pointing where he wanted the pass to go and again for a young kid being thrown into something like that I think that that says a lot about Suarez taking on more of a leadership role within the team Yep, excellent. Okay, right. Let's um, let's move it along then, if we could, um, to our preview of Arsenal versus Liverpool in the FA Cup on Sunday. So we move on then to our preview of Arsenal versus Liverpool in the FA Cup on Sunday. Um, I want Brendan to play Aspas, Alberto, Moses, Ibe, Teixeira, Colin fucking Pasco, because. <laughs> <laughs> I really just do not care about this and I don't care if it's sacrilege I'm the oldest guy in the, in the room I remember the FA Cup victories blah blah snore snore don't give a shit I want him to play every child every half alive human that's in the club roll them out put them on fucking wheels and put them up against Arsenal I don't really care does it matter can anyone give me a reason why we should put a strong team out and I tell you what I guarantee he will because we've got a full week to Swansea a full week and he will put out a strong team and I'm dreading it well you've answered your own question so we'll just get on to predictions and what we, what we reckon the score will be uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> answer my I, I, I think Rodgers will, will sense blood here uh, I think with with the boring game as, as you it's, said before yeah. coming up well Wenger's not going to risk his strongest players exactly so he's going to play a very weakened team Look, even, even if we play a team that's 75% full strength yeah they, I still think we could be better than them on the night you yeah. know it's it, they're severely lacking at the moment I think they're lacking confidence um, I, I think they're lacking tactically at the moment as well I don't think they're, they're lacking players through injuries but Damo the question was is that what you want to see no it's not what I want to see like, do you, yeah, would you, I would, want the fucking new team to go yeah, on and play them on yeah, Saturday yeah. but it, we all know it's not going to happen Like, is, is there anyone in the room who can make an argument for putting a very strong you yeah, can't Dave yeah. go so apart from the so let, let's think about it holistically right we want to finish ahead of Arsenal yes so we need Arsenal to kind of implode Right, so how do you how do you start to make that happen? We'll I see where you're going again, with this, yeah. Right, so then all of a sudden they've lost to us. Drew with United, lost to us again. Then they go away to Bayern Munich, right? Which they lose. So all of a sudden, Arsenal are in crisis. They got the worst fans in the world, the most fickle fans in the world, right? Led by Piers fucking Morgan, right? So they're going to go into fucking meltdown. But there's another reason as well, and it's simple: winning's a habit, lads, right? And he Rogers has nothing to lose here by sending a strong side out. Mm. He puts a strong side out and we win. All of a sudden, we've won three in a bounce, right? Twice against Arsenal. Mm. Confidence is high. We've got Swansea at home after it. We put a side out and we lose. Who cares? It's the FA Cup, right? It doesn't matter. We've yeah. got Swansea at home next. We'll fucking kill them. So, I mean, for me, winning's a habit. And I, and I think it's all moot anyway because we know the team that Rogers is going to play, right? He's going to play a strong side. But even if he wasn't that type of manager, I would want him to... You know, there is an argument to say, go and beat Arsenal. Because beating Arsenal lifts us, defeats them, drops them down. And in the context of us being champions, which is what we're going to be, that's what we need to happen. There's a beautiful logic to what Dave Thomas is saying, uh, Phil Casey, but I'm still not convinced and I don't care enough still, even though Dave okay. makes a great case. Where, where are you on this? Well, meet your cynical twin because I couldn't give a shit about the FA Cup to be quite honest about it right um, we need to get the Champions League purely for us to be a force again now coming back to the game that we have on Sunday we're in a strange position whereby we have Agar who's fit to play we have Glenn Johnson who's supposedly back in full training mm -hmm. and ready that needs games we also have Joe Allen who's fit 
and needs game hasn't has had much game time since he came back from injury. What's the Sacco update? I haven't heard anything this week. Well, obviously, let's 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 pretend he's going to be back. So then he'll be, know, he's out. He's out. He's, he's in he, France. Be, yeah. yeah, he'll be out again because remember he's he's due back every week. So That's right. The last five weeks. That's right. That's it's the, like the Thursday medical. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a medical this Thursday. It's always on a Thursday. Yeah, Zap yeah. has a big smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're back, my friend. <laughs> Sit down here. No, it's not right. You have to come back to me next Thursday. We signed no one in January. <laughs> Um, but right if think about this right given the players that we have and the players that need a game potentially you're looking at a team on this you have Jones in goal Johnson right back Torre right centre back Agar left left sided centre back right Sissoko left back that's a strong back four if you ask me you then go into midfield you have Joe Allen you have Luis Alberto potentially and you also have um, Jordan Henderson Okay, that's a strong midfield. Then up front, you play Moses, you play Aspas, and you possibly play one of Sturridge or Suarez. I and in my view, I would rest Suarez because he looks like a player that needs a rest at this stage. On the bench, then you have Sterling, you have Suarez, you vibe, you vibe, you have Steven Gerrard, right? Teixeira, and you have Teixeira if you want, or, or, or whatever combination you want to do. Now, you, Arsenal look at the team and they go. Jesus, that's actually a, a strong side. This is a reserve Liverpool side, but a very strong side. And I would say Arsenal will approach the game and put out a similar strength team in terms of who they'll play because they do have Bayern Munich lo- looming over the, the horizon. right? Mm-hmm. For me, whatever result we get down here, once we have put in a good performance, that's the most important thing. I think we can win, with that 11 that I've just named there, I think we can win the game, but we can equally lose the game. And for me, no matter what result we get on Sunday, we shouldn't lose any momentum because, as Dave says, we have Swansea around the corner at home. So win, lose or draw, we either go into the Swansea game with a win under our belts or we go into the Swansea game with a point to prove. Are you counteracting Dave's winning habit, um, a point by saying once the performance level stays up that that's the main thing? Once we maintain our performance, because remember, Arsenal are going to be gunning for us after the humiliation they got in Anfield last week mm. and they will have a point to prove as well, right? I, I just feel that if we go to the Emirates and put in a performance unlike we did in the league this season and it puts a marker down that hang on a second this Liverpool squad has depth as well as the ability this isn't their first 11 but this team has come down and matched or better to Arsenal right hmm. we send out again a marker win lose or draw in this game Yeah. the only thing on the Suarez point is I think he needs a goal and I think that if he goes into that game and Arsenal don't play their first choice back four you know, which I, I don't know how much options they have in terms of centre halves and that kind of stuff. You know, and he bags a goal, he bags two goals. I think that might do him the world of good. Now, I I see the logic for resting him. My my own view is, I think winning this game is could be important for a lot of reasons. It's nothing to do with the FA Cup, by the way. I mean, I, I don't give a shit if it's the FA Cup or the fucking you know auto windscreen shield competition, whatever the fuck it is. You know, at the end of the day. I want to win because winning is good for us and winning is bad for Arsenal. <laughs> the only thing I'll say is that Arsenal are used to getting knocked out of competitions in February, <laughs> so it won't actually affect their mentality that much. So, <laughs> if it was some other team, I'd say fair enough, right? But yeah. genuinely, they, they they tend to have a piss poor February and then are very strong over March and April. So, I, I'd say for Arsenal, no matter what happens on Sunday, it's not going to affect how they approach the running. I had a lovely smirk to myself there as you were talking about the humiliation of losing to us. I was thinking about what about the humiliation of drawing Manchester United. No, we didn't. We didn't. I was at the muck last night. By the way, it was two fucking drunks fighting in a car. <laughs> I'd say, <laughs> Demo, you're the only man we haven't heard from on this at any length, and we're not gonna we're not gonna spend too much more on it. So let's get your thoughts on um, what you'd like to see in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the final lineup, and then we we'll go for predictions. Uh, Money be very much like feels. I'd leave the top three at the moment. Uh, there's. There's a certain way we're playing at the moment that as soon as we lose the ball, either one or sorry, two of the three, whoever's closest, drop mm. in as wide players. Yeah. And we become a five across the middle. And that's yeah. that's what's happened every single game. And when we break then, they break as far as So apart five. from the fact that it's very likely we'll see that three, you think yeah. you would like to see it? Well, you, you can try mix it about, but yeah. are we going to have the same fluidity that we've had? Yeah, I know, uh, could probably come in for Sterling yeah. and, and you could fill in there. He could, I wouldn't fucking fancy Moses to do the left side of it. No. Uh, cause it let, let's, he, well, let's, let's be honest. If Iago Aspas doesn't start this game, he, he will never 
I don't think so. I, I think he's he number. I suppose won't start this game. I bet. No, I, I, I honestly think I'd start him. I, I, I would start him anyway let's just get wrap this up by getting predictions and it is a total crapshoot who the fuck knows what way this is going to go but let's start Dave Thomas prediction 5-1 5-1 2 <laughs> I have to clarify 2 well 1-5 then so 5-1 <laughs> excellent you know. uh, no I mean look we have no idea right I mean it's one of those games yeah. who are we going to play who are they going to yeah. play I think we'll win I think it's important we win mm. and I think that if we win I think Arsenal are fucked. Excellent. Uh, Demo? I'm going to say 2-1 to us. Um, again, it doesn't really matter. Just once it doesn't go to a replay. Oh, you fucking don't want that replay. If, if, if it's getting to that stage, I hope you fucking Arsenal beat us. It's it just Let's get this game <laughs> over and done with on Sunday. Yeah. Just over and done yeah, with. Yeah, you just get in and get out. If, if, it's, it's, if we win, we win. If we don't, we don't. If it's heading for a replay, I think we can rely on Tory to help us out there. <laughs> <laughs> Phil? Um because it's the FA Cup, hmm. I'm saying Arsenal 2, Liverpool 2. Oh, that's a really pessimistic show from you then, isn't it, really? It, it going along Demos' line of thought. No, I, I think this is going for a replay. Yeah, which, well, would, I, I think, and, and, which and, would be a bad thing, sure. And in all our great championship winning seasons, we've always had an epic fucking pre-quarter-final replay. Um, so I'm going, yeah, replaying, and then we're going to have a 7-6 game in Anfield before we even get the penalties. Where, where, where do we fit that replay in, though? I don't give a shit, man. Because they've got, they've got back-to-back weeks. Grand, we, play, games. We, we, we played them the day... We, we played, them a, played them the day after the Bayern Munich game. <laughs> in Munich. <laughs> we play we'll all the go day, over. We're playing the day <laughs> we wrap up the championship. Let's, uh, let's not uh, gloss over the fact that Phil Casey has just said pre-championship in our great win- championship winning seasons. So let's address the big, dirty-looking elephant in the corner of the room here. Cheers, mate. Oh, and say, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, He's torn up in grey. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> He's got touches in him. He needs to trim that nose hair. He's torn into a rhino. <laughs> let's talk about it. Uh, Dave Thomas, uh, briefly, is it madness? And if it is, should we embrace it anyway? So it's not madness, right? We can win the league, right? Whether we will win the league is kind of an irrelevant question. And I, I, you know, my view on this is we're at the party. Why does it matter what girl we're going to take home right now, right? Let's just enjoy being at the at party. At this stage. Yeah. At this stage. It yeah. doesn't matter, right? It's, it's 10.30. We don't have a 10 to 2 girl yet, right? We might end up going home with the fourth girl. We might end up going home with the first. <laughs> Let's just enjoy being at the party. Get Ian Holloway out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Demo, uh, what do you think? Is this realistic or is it absolute bullshit point this guy talking I, about? I, I said to one of the lads in Water today, big Liverpool fan, and I said, I have the feeling of it, the kind of the same feeling I got around 2005 when there's something fucking special just happening. Yeah. And you don't know why it's happening, it's just happening. Yeah. And you can kind of sense it going that direction. Yeah. Uh, like last night was just, like we said, we do a Liverpool, that's a 2 all, or we lose 2 1. No, we didn't. We dug it out. Dug it out when it was just going. Let's just see where this goes. I'm not getting too excited just yet. But you just get a sense of something. The gods are fucking messing with something up there. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went down that road because when you were talking about, it, you just get a sense of something happening. You're not sure what it is. I thought you were chatting about puberty for a minute. That's what it felt like <laughs> to me. Uh, Phil, what do you think? Is it is it madness to talk about? It? Uh, do you feel that it's a possibility? No. You, which no, it's not madness, or no, it's not a possibility. No, <laughs> I refuse. That's, that's that's Phil on the fence. Okay, uh, on to the next part of the show, and this is where you lot put your queries to us and listeners' questions. And we're going to start off this week with one from Robbie, and Robbie has an animal hypothetical. Our listeners seem to love these, uh, and he says, "Who would win in a fight, Dave Thomas? A monkey with a knife, or a bear?" With no knife. The bear with no knife. <laughs> Absolutely. He'd fucking rip that monkey. To monkeys shit. are clever cons. Uh, how many monkeys do you see carrying knives around? <laughs> <laughs> They're not that This clever. guy's he got a knife, no, Dave. The monkey would have no fucking this, clue what to do. This guy's knife. got a knife. The bear would work with me. Kill the, the bear. Monkey. How so, big yeah. is the knife? Okay. It's going to be a pen knife. <laughs> <laughs> it's a butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd fancy the monkey in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if it's like one of those little fucking spider monkeys with the knife, and it knows what to do with the knife, 
That's my point. But how would they know what to do with a knife? A bear doesn't have an opposable thumb. It won't be able to hold on to him. It'll yeah. have to get his claws and the little fucker will just be all over the back of him and stick it on top of his head. Listen, monkeys have been in the fucking jungle for years. They still haven't found out the fucking... <laughs> By the way, think about it. evolved. Uh, answer this question then. Monkeys have been in the jungles for years, but bears haven't. There's a fucking reason. That's fucking profound. They're scared of the bastards. That's why the bears won't They're go in. The monkeys. And when I say profound, I mean utter fucking horseshit. Uh, next one up is from uh, Doc Manhattan Doc on Twitter. He has another physiology-based inquiry, and he, this is for you, Phil Casey. He wants to know, Doc does. Do your balls hang low? Did they wobble to and fro? Depends on the ambient room temperature. I know coming home, coming home in the in the, in the snow. And There's no wobbling today, there, fella. There was no wobbling today. No, 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 no. they're retracted. No, they're retracted. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like the landing gear on a seven four seven at thirty three thousand feet. <laughs> well, I tell you, my balls are wobbling all over the fucking sitting room last night with your air bound that will go on top corner <laughs> and all be a, over the place. There'll be a picture on Twitter to prove that later on. <laughs> Full kit wanker, nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, grey candy gear that he bought when he was twelve. How did I miss this? His shirt off. How did I miss this? Wait till you see the state. Was this going last night? How the fuck did I miss this? This is going. And he said to me, please don't put this out. I'm putting this fucker out. I can't do WhatsApp and Twitter. I have to do one or the other. I can't do this. I can't do the two of them together. It's redonkulous. (sighs) Sounds good. Sounds good. Um. That's going out. Oh, gee, yeah, you can actually see the, the, the swinging ball action there. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive, Damo. Good work. I needed the fucking monkey noise to get the shorts back on. You know there was no bear coming off you there. Fuck, it looks like a bear in a kit. Next one up is Calf. Uh, Calf says, uh, uh, yeah, this is good actually, change of pace here. If you could have seen one artist or band perform, an artist who's now dead, who would it be? Uh, Dave, any ideas? Uh, Johnny Cash probably Johnny Cash yeah Johnny Cash or Elvis I mean you know Elvis I think Elvis in a 68 comeback show would have been That's pretty, so pretty impressive quality, yeah. to have been in you know to be in the audience for that but I mean Johnny Cash was consistently brilliant and you know I think Johnny Cash of all, of all the artists John- Next one's from Chimp, uh, and Chimp asks, "This isn't the this <laughs> He's got a knife. <laughs> <laughs> he said, have you Chimp, there's a bear coming." <laughs> Chimp asks, "Have you seen the bear?" No, because I live in the jungle and I protect this motherfucker. <laughs> How will I go about it? Anyway, Chimp asks, "Would you rather live?" Ah, oh, fucking hell! This is right up Casey Street. Would you rather live your life in the sky or underwater? Uh, uh, yeah, this is great. Damo uh, starts off here. Life in the sky or life underwater? Underwater. Those sexy little mermaids down there and that, that, <laughs> the little shell bras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fucking love Yeah, shell bras. Okay. Uh, uh, what do you think, Dave? Sky or underwater? Well, there's nothing in the sky, so why would you want to live in the sky? So in the water, there's actual other things in the water. So yeah, the water, definitely. Then why is everyone pointing to the sky when they score goals and stuff? Because there's nobody up there. Yeah, that's a, that's a question for another show. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Phil, I know you're going to say the sky. Tell me, tell, tell me I'm wrong. I thought about under the water, but yeah, nah. going back to under the water, that's where Jar Jar Binks was from, so fuck that shit, right? Yeah. So I'm going to go with in the sky, because that's where the Cloud City in the sky was. And that looked like a boss place to be. What are we talking about? The Cloud City, what's that from? What's it's that a reference to? The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, nice one, yeah. That's where Lando lives. Lando Calrissian. Remember, he won it in a, in a poker game. A whole city. Sand. With a chimp and a knife. <laughs> That's why Vader didn't attack. Holy oh, bear. <laughs> and Chewbacca was scared of his shit going into the place. <laughs> Keep those monkeys away from me. Hey, there's no monkeys in the jungle either. <laughs> yeah. Those monkeys, Can you they see? know their shit. Can like. you see? See where I'm going with this? Uh, next one's from Darren. Darren wonders, uh, if you are magically made God for the day, every question here is directed at Phil Casey, what's the first thing that you would do with your infinite power uh, Dave you're God you can do anything what are you doing I would make all the Everton fans sit through the derby over and over and over you're a very bad over, man and over and over and then you know the woman that was like really upset and crying who we thought was Phil dressed up yeah <laughs> what do you mean we thought I'd move her to a better seat <laughs> besides you I think <laughs> beside Breno that's a that's a, a 
<laughs> That's a very Old Testament God you've got going on there, vindictive fire bastard. and brimstone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Flood your God, what do you do? Bubonic plague and straight into fucking Old Trafford for <laughs> 80,000. It's already there, it's called Moise. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Bubonic Moise. <laughs> right, okay, Phil, your God. That's what you always wanted. Yeah. He, he emails me are you okay for tonight says, yeah yeah aren't stopping you aren't in your way I says only God himself and he says no it's grand with me don't worry about it ah <laughs> fucking perfect that is absolutely perfect <laughs> and then he comes back and says no you're Satan so it's one yeah, the same thing yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah and I love I love that shout like I, I, I'd start again because it's basically you know yeah no do you know what edit it all and fucking start from scratch <laughs> That's just so. That's, Phil, Phil's answer is: If I was God for a day, I'd yeah. wonder why I've been why I've gone part time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm God all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on here? The first thing I do is I'd go to the beach in Rio, just chill out, see Haji. <laughs> no, actually, I go to fucking beach and bring him there and send him into the Amazon to set up his football cult. <laughs> see the with monkeys the in the jungle. With the monkeys. They see that bear bastard coming, he's gone. Get in there with a knife, you <laughs> uh, Okay. Uh, Roy Paddington Bear Hudson. <laughs> Gray is wondering, um, Fiona asks, if you had to kiss and she puts in brackets properly, one of the other day trippers, who would it be? Phil, you had a strong opinion about this earlier on, so <laughs> it's interesting to hear what you'd say about this now. Who would it be? Are we going for looks or for... It's, it's down to you, kid. It says kiss properly. Like, so it's basically not a peck, peck in the cheap. Like, it's, not, it's not you've won us the championship, I love you, Beckham to a fellow teammate type kiss. Is anyone else feeling quite uncomfortable right now? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just me. Well, Get your hands off me. What's, what's, what's basically happening in the room just explains everyone's sizing each other up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, if I had to kiss one of you, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd probably kiss Floody. Yeah. I think we did it before. I fucking knew it. I think <laughs> Floody, that may have happened before, we've but been, I'm not, we've been I'm building not, towards it. may happen again. I know, yeah. <laughs> Floody, we've been building towards this with the face touching happening. That, that weekend, yeah. Yeah. That weekend in Monaghan, I, I can't remember the last five hours of what happened that what night. We, so. What weekend in Monaghan? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, that'll do. Your day trippers tonight then were Dave Thomas, Damien Flood, Phil Casey, and myself, Trev Downey. Sweet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic. And you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. Like the breaking ground on new construction things. The every box and barcode matters things. And the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance. Wholeheartedly for you. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive. Are you thinking more about how to tighten up your budget these days? Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save over $700 on average, and customers can qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up. A little off your rate each month goes a long way. Get a quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customers surveyed in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.